Welcome to the Think It, Make It podcast. We're all about turning your ideas into reality with a CNC router, tips and tricks, new products, interviews with the pros, and much, much more. Whether you're using a CNC for business or hobby, we have great stuff in store for you. Let's get on with the show! Hey everybody, welcome back to the Think and Make It podcast. This is episode 19. My name is Eric. I'm here with Greg and Bobby this week. Welcome back. Um, so we got a lot of um, a lot of views coming in on the podcast. I was uh, pretty excited to see that. I checked the stats today and uh, I haven't really put it out there yet. I haven't shared it on any of the groups. So that's telling me that people that had it subscribed from when we were doing it like a year and a half ago. Now they're getting the notifications that the new the new podcast is out. Uh, do have a favor to ask though. If uh, you like the podcast and you're out in Facebook groups, you know, for uh, CNC for beginners or whatever the different groups are, you know, maybe uh, post a link to the podcast and just say, hey, this is cool. Um, you know, if you if you definitely feel that way, we would appreciate that. It's hard for me or Greg or Bobby to go out and do that on the groups because uh, even though this is not a podcast for business, we're not making any money doing this. We're simply sharing information. Uh, some of the groups will uh, see that as kind of self-serving and um, uh, commercial, you know, sort of thing. So if it comes from a user, different story. Uh, so yes, we would like to, uh, you know, keep recording this every week. And it's really great to hear that we've got, you know, several thousand people that are listening every week. Yeah, I think we're having fun. I th- hopefully we're sharing some good information and to get that out there more, if that allows us to keep doing this, we'd love to do this more often. Yeah. Yeah. We're In fact, we were just talking about um, expanding this a little bit and adding some YouTube kind of stuff to it. And uh, yeah, we've got some ideas. So we just have to get in here and record a little bit more. But yes, we are having fun and uh, it is good. So um, let's start off by, uh, I guess the big elephant in the room is our, um, think and make a challenge and kind of get an update of where everybody's at. So who wants to start? I'll go ahead and start. Yeah. Um, so I am doing the cornhole boards like we've discussed over the past few episodes. Um, still have not picked out the final design, but I at least have the cornhole boards themselves drawn up in Vectric, um, which was pretty quick for the most part. Um, uh, but I am still trying to grab that eye-popping design, if you will, um, so I can sell it for a buttload of money and win this competition. Mm. I think we you you have the technicals down. You had the position of the the center hole, which was nine inches from the top. Yep. You had the, the basic square, and that was what we just discussed was kind of the technical factors of getting those positioned right in Vectric. What you, would you think of that? Was that challenging? Um, if you're not familiar with Vectric, it's probably going to be something that might take you a little bit or a couple tutorial videos to get a grasp on. But for the most part, once you kind of see it, it, it is pretty self-explanatory for the most part. Um, once you kind of understand some of the buttons and kind of navigating your way through Vectric. So just so everybody knows, like from a, from a, I guess, an experience perspective, uh, since, you know, Bobby had just joined our company, Year and a half, yeah, a year more. and a half ago. Yep. Uh, it's good in that Bobby's been super busy um, doing what he does, and uh, so he has not had as much experience on using the machines and designing stuff. He observes a lot, 
and comes out when we're doing things, but hasn't had the opportunity to really do a lot of projects from scratch. And yeah, well, Bobby's cut a lot. Bobby's qu- cut quite a few things. You right. just haven't designed it. Haven't done the design. Really. Exactly. Yeah. So he's he's familiar with the operation, the usage, the types of end mills. You know everything that a uh, customer, you know, would ask him for. Uh, you know, when when looking to buy a machine, you know, Bobby has all the knowledge for that, and he's picked it up very quickly. Where he hasn't had a lot of experiences in, in the design. And so we just had a discussion prior to hitting record here. And we were talking about how to absolutely position things in Vetric. And I kind of wished I hit record because the information uh, was good. However, uh, I don't have a screen recorder. Uh, we're in our conference room and we have a projector and a computer that runs it. And I don't have a screen recording software on that computer, but I will install that tomorrow and then we will come in and probably re-record that conversation. Uh, so what we'd like to do is when there is a technical question or we're, we're talking about that, we're probably going to go ahead and record that and have that be on the podcast, but also have this screen record and then have that video be on the podcast page and on YouTube. So it'll be the same audio in both it's just the video would have the screen to kind of go along with what we're talking about. So if you are in the car and you're listening, we are going to work really hard not to say, just click this or press there. this button. Move over here. Yeah, we will We will try to, when we speak, say, uh, you know, the, click the move button or whatever we're doing or whatever we're talking about. So you can kind of follow along you know, listening to the audio, but then, you know, when you get home later, or whatever you're in front of a computer, you can check out the video that goes with it and hopefully it'll make more sense. So, um, yeah. So the reason that we're going to do that again, I think it, we get a few different levels, uh, like Greg gets a lot more of these questions from customers that will buy a system and then they call and they have questions about how to design something. And, uh, sometimes he gets you know, he gets stuff that he doesn't understand and he'll come tell me and then I'll work with the customer on it. So you've got three different experience levels, Bobby being more of a newbie when it comes to the actual design concepts of things with Vetric and um, Greg and Bobby, when it comes to fusion, um, they, you know, I'm, I'm more involved in using fusion. So unfortunately fusion is one of those things we're not quite caught up with yet because we've since the beginning, we've been Vetric here, right? You know, you, you, as you started with Vetric and we're, we're not quite as caught up and there's some confusion with fusion out there. Yeah. Th- so there, there is some confusion that, um, that we were, you know, we had people that, that ask the, the deal was, is everybody wondered, Initially, well, Fusion is free, where Vetric, you have to pay for it. Now, that's true. Vetric is not a free software. Uh, the advantage of Vetric is you pay one time and then you own it. So it's not a, a yearly or monthly subscription like Adobe or some of these other softwares. Fusion is still free for hobbyists. So it, it's it's very um, – they, they laid it out on their website – and I'm going to find this uh, because it, it, it's confusing for a lot of people. But what they're saying is Fusion 360 for personal use is free for one year for qualifying non-commercial users. A hobbyist user must generate less than $1,000 USD in annual revenue using Fusion 360 for home-based, non-commercial design, manufacturing, and fabrication projects. So that is what... Fusion is saying, so if you are a home user 
and you are not using the software to make more than $1,000 a year, then it is, in fact, free for you. And what that means is you'll, you'll get the license for the year. At the end of the year, your license will expire. You have to re-qualify to get the license extended again. So as long as you still meet those same qualifications, it's still free. Otherwise, you would pay for a commercial license, which I don't remember the cost, um, $3.99 or $4.99, something like that. And that's a yearly subscription. And so it's a that's... yearly subscription. Now, again, depending upon what you're doing, um, will determine whether Fusion is a good investment for you. I love Fusion 360. Um, I use it all the time. If I'm designing any kind of parts that are mechanical or I need to, you know, see something in three dimensions, uh, that sort of thing, Fusion is perfect for that. Uh, I can draw objects a lot faster in Fusion than I can in Vetric. Um, you know, unless, of course, you're talking about like, um, you know, like Bobby's cornhole board. It's a piece of plywood with a hole in it. That's just as easy to do in Vetric as it is in Fusion. If you were modeling the entire with the stands, with the flip-out stands and the yep. bottom, Fusion would be a little would be, bit Would be easier there. because you can't draw in 3D in, in Vetric. Um, yeah, so uh, if you were putting an entire assembly together, you would have to kind of envision that from different drawings in, in Vetric. And that can get a little tough going from 2D to 3D. Right. So I use, like, I'll, I'll design a cabinet or something, or a bookcase, or whatever, in Vetric without a problem. Uh, I just draw it on the screen in a couple dimensions. So I'll just start with the face view, then I'll do a left or right edge, and then I'll do a top or bottom, depending on what it is. And I just put those uh, vectors off to the side out of my work area, because I don't intend to necessarily cut those. I'm just doing it for reference, so I can make sure that all the parts that, like for instance, if you're doing a bookcase, and the bookcase is 24 inches wide, you're going to use, and say you're using three-quarter inch um, plywood. Well, you measure your plywood. It's not really three-quarters of an inch. It's measuring 0.73. So from your face view, you can draw a rectangle on the left and right side that's 0.73 wide, and that would represent your left and right sides of your bookcase. Now, if you want to make a shelf that's adjustable, then you now, and it's 24 inches, now you have to subtract 24 minus 0.73 minus 0.73 for both sides, and that's going to give you um, your, your shelf width. However, if it's an adjustable shelf, you don't want it to be exactly that width. You want to subtract maybe another 20 thousandths or something from it so that it has a loose fit so you can get it in and out and adjust it. So you can do all of that with Vetric. Now, let's just say you want to put a fixed shelf in there that you want to dado in a quarter inch on either side. Well, now after you set your 0.73 board on the left and the right, you can take a dimension to know what the center is, take that dimension, create another rectangle, and add a quarter inch to either end, and there's your fixed thing. So I'm going to do some videos on that because we do get people asking, you know, can you design a cabinet or can you design a bookcase or something in Vetric? And how do you do it being that it's only two dimensions? You just have to think, you know, back in the day, uh, I'm not that old, but when I was in school and, and we first started using computer CAD, everything was two dimension. AutoCAD was two dimension. So you drew in multi views and Vetric is still easy to do that. Now, if you were using Fusion 360, you just draw the bookcase and you can rotate it around and see it 
you know, as if it was a real object in the room. So, you know, whether you need one or the other, I still think Vetric, hands down, is better for 90% of the people oh, out far. there because it's super easy to learn how to use. It's very powerful. You can do a lot of what you would use Fusion very for. Very easily, very simply. Right. But it is, um, you know, there are some limitations. Fusion is definitely more powerful. And I'm not knocking Fusion. It's just that if you're, if you're going to buy your very first CNC machine, boy, I don't know that I'd want to go through. Um, There's a level of complexity with Fusion that with all those features, you get this, this way, way harder to, especially when you get to the cam portion. Right. which is the tool pathing. It's much easier to visualize and, and design in 3D, uh, but it's much, much more complex. And with that comes a very steep learning curve. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And, and to be honest with you, when I first started using Fusion Cam, uh, I, I, I attribute it to uh, like learning how to use Photoshop or Premiere or something for the first time. You know, that you look at the screen, very complicated, a lot of small buttons everywhere buttons on the side, the top, sliders, all these different things. And it's very overwhelming. And as you progress and you learn, your you, your mind starts to only focus on the things you need to worry about. And everything else is just like blurred out in your in your mind. So with practice, it 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 isn't that difficult, but I would say like learning cam in Vetric, you know, Two or three days. Two it's or, overwhelming at first. Yeah, two or three days, though, and you're going to be pretty comfortable with it. After a couple pro small projects, you're going to be real comfortable with it. In, in Fusion, it's going to be a little longer than that just because it's the software is really optimized for um, machining centers. And so there's a lot of extra parameters uh, that you can um, program in to optimize your cut when you're working with steel and aluminum and, you know, things like that. So anyway, that's, that's, you know, our, my two cents on. Now, you know, if Vectric. you did want to do some of these more three-dimensional projects, you could still use Vectric, but you'd need to use Aspire, correct? Not really. Um, Aspire is three, allows you to draw 3d objects. Correct. Okay. But not it's not a parametric 3D CAD modeling. So in other words, you still couldn't draw in Aspire like a bookcase, a full bookcase, a full book, and then break angle. it out in individual pieces. It's it's more like if you wanted to, if you were, if you had a radio control car and you want to design a a body for it, mm -hmm. like that is going to go over that you're going to carve or make a mold for uh, to melt plastic over or something to do vacuum forming. Um, you could use, uh, Aspire for that. You know, you could, you could go in and you could start to mold and, and the Aspire is, I don't, I don't use the 3d modeling a lot. I've used it a few times and it reminds me of like, if I have a block of clay in front of me and I want to just start manipulating it to get it to, to a shape that I'm looking for. Um, it's really good for that. If you wanted to get into making something like, um, like a serving spoon, like a wood serving spoon, you know, you can oh, do be very simple. The dish yeah. in, the, there's a button specifically to do a dish, you know, kind of pattern and things like that. Um, it's powerful and it allows you to do a lot of things, but there is still a definite difference between Aspire and Fusion 360. It's, it's where, you know, some things are just easier to do in, in Aspire than, than in Fusion, but it just really depends on what you're looking to do. 
Um, like for instance, your cornhole board, I can draw it in a few minutes in, in uh, infusion and I can add color. I can do all kinds of things. I can rotate it around to look at it from different angles. I can do all of the, uh, parts as individual components in, um, infusion where it becomes difficult in fusion is taking that 3d object with those components. Then you have to, there's a few steps you have to do to flatten everything out to make it so that you can route it. Now, what I've done before though, is I won't go through and use fusions cam. So I'll draw something in 3d infusion. Then I will take the components and I will rotate them. So they're flat on, on a, on a single plane. And then I'll go ahead and I'll output all of those vectors as a DXF. And then I bring that into VCarve Pro. Now I have a DXF exactly of my model with everything I need. And it's just easier to do the tool pathing for something like a bookcase or something in, in Vetric. So does that answer your question? That answers the question. <laughs> so what did you decide to do your project? Are you modeling in, in Fusion? Or are you doing everything Vetric? No, I, I was going to do... Fusion on this, but that was, it's really too simple. It's kind of simple for that. Um, but I, what I've been wrestling with over the last couple of days is, okay, so it's a, a knife display case cabinet. So it's got four sides, a back, and then a door. I was going to make the sides out of plywood. That was my initial um, I, I thought process. Now, if you do it out of plywood, when you open the door, you're going to see the end grain of the sides. So I have an option. I could um, edge band the, the faces, right? And then clean the edge band and up sand them. And when you open the door, you'll think it's hardwood because I'll, I'll use, um, I think we have maple uh, plywood. So I'll use maple edge band or poplar or whatever we have. And, and then it'll, it'll, if the edge banding comes out good, you won't be able to tell that it's, it's not a solid wood board as opposed to plywood. The other issue is the corners. So because it's a box, I need to figure out how I want to join the corners together. So if I were to do a standard rabbit joint where I'm taking the top and the bottom and let's just say for simplicity, they're, they're 0.75. Well, let's just say 0.5 because I don't need to use three quarter inch material for this. So I can wrap it in on the top and, uh, and bottom of each side, uh, you know, quarter inch deep by a half inch so that they kind of lock together and I can do that. But I still run into the issue that if you're looking at this thing from the top or the bottom, you're still going to see end grain uh, for whatever is, is sticking out from that that um, rabbit that I did. So you just won't see as much. You'll yeah, still see it. You'll still see it. You won't see as much. And I want this thing to look like it was done with hardwood. That's my goal. So I, I started looking at other joinery. It is possible. I could do 45 miters and then still do edge banding on the face. And I can end up with a, a box. That's, that's good. Um, I can do miters and put, um, biscuits in the corners. So there's, there's another way to do that to kind of make it tighter. Um, I don't know. I just wasn't in love with any of that. So my other option that I'm thinking about that was actually drawn before we came in here, I think I am going to do it out of solid wood, but I want to route the entire thing on, on the machine. I don't want to use 
conventional tools. So I've convinced myself that I will not use anything conventional except for maybe a sander, a palm sander mm -hmm. to, to clean it up. So I won't use a table saw. I don't want to use drill press. I don't want to use anything. It's got to be all done uh, with the exception of sanding with the machine. So I have the ability to program with a ball nose. There's a plug-in or gadget for um, uh, VCarve Pro that will let you do uh, miters, right? And I've done it before, and they come out just as good as a table saw. Takes um, a little bit longer. But. Takes a little longer, yeah, because you gotta, you're got you essentially using a ball nose to carve a 45-degree angle in a piece of wood. Um, so I may do that, but then I'm also thinking that I might do everything with wood, but on an M700 or an M1000, I can use the vertical clamping fixture. So I was thinking about doing, I don't want to do dovetails because they're like overdone, but I've seen some different joinery that are CNC friendly with like pegs and round and round features. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to make the sides flat on the machine and then I'm going to do the top and the bottom vertical to, and then have them inter interlock in the corners. So that way when it's stained, you'll see that design. So the corners now would be because it's, it's, it's not plywood, you know, you're not seeing laminated end grain. You're seeing the wood end grain, which, it, but it'll have a design once it's stained, and I, I think it'll look cool. So, what's the downside of using um, a hardwood from the beginning? Were you trying to avoid the cost? No, no, it has nothing to do with the cost. Or? Nope. The main reason uh, that I didn't want to use hardwood is it's uh, that. And that was the next thing is um, it's hard to fixture onto the machine, mm. right? If I decide I want to use oak, oak is very grainy. It's very hard to get a vacuum hold down with oak. Like on the on the vacuum table, like on the MDF, it's going to be very difficult. You could use maple. Maple's a little smoother, but if I'm using rough cut material, or if the material's not hasn't been milled on one side, I'm not going to get a good vacuum seal. If you use clamps, then you end up wasting a lot of material, right? Because if I got to cut a side, if the side of my my box is going to be 30 inches and it's going to be four inches deep, I'm going to use a five inch piece of material, but now I have to have room on the top and the bottom for my clamp. And so I obviously can't cut that. So I'm going to cut my piece out of that material and I'm probably going to waste 20% of the material. You are not a clamping guy. You will do everything I hate you can to avoid clamps. Uh, clamping and, and sanding. I don't I think I've ever too. seen you. I mean, he, Eric is our, our vacuum table designer. So he, he's absolutely our, our vacuum guy, but I've never once seen you use a clamp on that machine. No, there's a couple in there. They have uh, end mill uh, marks they've in them, hitting them. Bit. Yeah, they've been chewed <laughs> up. So, I uh, I will avoid clamps at all costs. So, thinking about this, if the idea behind this whole exercise is to create a product that we're going to um, sell, hopefully, and sell a lot of them, right? Now, obviously, our we're not looking us here to do a side business, nor are we looking to have a completely separate company that's making these projects. Um, but the exercise is, is more for you, the listener. It's, it's somebody that wants to buy a CNC machine that wants to go through this exercise to make a business to, to do these things in production. So what I came up with is I'm actually going to create a vacuum fixture. I'm not going to make it out of anything crazy. I'm going to use probably MDF for the vacuum fixture, but I'm going to use the rubber cord. And what that allows me to do 
is place the vacuum fixture over the vacuum inlet port on the table of the machine. So I'm essentially drawing the vacuum from the table through this fixture and the fixture will sit inside the grid pattern. So it'll lock down. Now the idea with that is the rubber cord is going to stick up a little bit. So if I am using wood, that's, that's not been plain and it's, it's not perfect. The rubber cord gives you some, um, give and, and make that perfect to, to, to give you a, a perfect seal. If I make the vacuum fixture, so for instance, if the sides are going to be four inches wide, my vacuum fixture is going to be slightly smaller than four inches. So I could put a piece of wood on there, a raw piece of wood, and I could cut all the way around the perimeter of it to size it exactly the way I need it without having to clamp anything. What that allows me to do is, is now I minimize my waste to almost nothing. And, uh, cause I can, I can pick up my, my bottom edge and my left edge so I'm cutting essentially what, you know, maybe half a, half an M mil diameter is what I'm going to waste. Um, but it'll also allow me to figure out where I'm going to put, if I need holes and I can manipulate my, my, um, corners that way as well. So, and yes, it's a lot of extra work to create a vacuum fixture. But again, the idea is I will, if, if you're going to make this project and you're going to sell hundreds of them, then you don't want to clamp. You don't want to use double side tape. You don't want to use blue tape and CA glue because that's a lot of work. A lot of work. It's a lot of work to keep doing it. You want to be able to sit there at the machine. You want a reference edge. You want to take your, your oak, maple, poplar, whatever you're using, put it on a vacuum thing, turn the hit vacuum go. on, hit go. Yep. Take it off, put the next one on, hit go. That's what I'm looking to do here. So yes, for one it's going to be a little excessive. Okay. But. That's, that's a good point. So what, what do you, is that going to be the first thing you do is the vacuum fixture? Or are you, are you going to create a prototype first, kind of time it out and then try to optimize that once you sell a few? Cause no. that's the kind of balance we're playing with here. I am going to do this from the get go as if I have an order for a hundred of them that okay. I need to produce, okay. even though I may not even sell one. Um, but I will have one on my wall in my office for all my knives. So a little bit more of an upfront cost for you then you're going to make the fixture. No, and not really an upfront cost. Cause I'm going to do it out of MDF. So I'm going to use scrap material. I may even do it out of plywood, whatever we have on the shelf that's scrap. So more of a time investment. It's more of a time investment. And, um, but it'll be a good exercise and the videos that will accompany it will be good for people who are thinking the same thing because I I've seen guys on, on Facebook where they're making, um, a project, right? And they got to make like a hundred of them and they're sitting there with blue painter's tape and CA glue <laughs> and holding each piece down. So what I was, when I was sitting at my desk, um, my thought was to use plywood because it's easier. I could put a sheet on the machine. I can cut out the parts from it. Right. But where it becomes more complicated is now I have to edge band it. If I don't want to see the end grain. Now I suppose I could go the route of using Baltic birch because the end grain on Baltic birch does look nice. It has more of an artistic kind of look to it, but, but it's still plywood. It's still plywood. You still get the, the layers. Right. So what I'm trying to do is come up with a high quality looking piece that is still made from a CNC machine in a few minutes. Like that's what I'm looking for. So um, yeah. And, and, and I just said, well, I mean, I, I tried everything to come up with a good way of doing it where I wouldn't have to edge band. I wouldn't have to hide corners. Um, I didn't really want to do 45 degree miters for my corners. And that's really the only option you have with a 
plywood. Uh, you could do a blind dado, but that gets a little bit more complicated too. And the other issue is, you know, if I take a piece of plywood and I stand it up vertically to do say a dovetail or a box joint in the corner, plywood doesn't always cut as easy on your end grain on the ends as a, a piece of hardwood would. So that's where I think I'm going to do. And I just said, you know what the heck with it. It's um, really not that much more money to go out and buy some poplar because uh, I'm going to stain it anyway. So poplar is probably going to be what I'm going to choose. I don't really need to use oak or anything, but by having a fixture, if let's just say we did this and you know, four people I know want one, well, it's no big deal. I just pop it on. The program isn't going to change. And see, that's the thing, right? If you're cutting with traditional tools and you use, you set your table saw up and you cut all the sides for the box part of this, right? It's all set. Well, then two weeks go by and somebody wants to order another one. You have to reset up your table saw. So you have to reset your fence. You're, you're measuring it. You're using manual measurement. It's not computer controlled. You're, you know, so could you be off, you know, five thousands, ten thousands, right? Probably right? it's, you know, even, even the best more than likely. Yeah. Even the best table saws that are out there, you still are using a scale and you're moving it by hand. It, it, uh, but if I were to have a vacuum fixture and I put it on the machine and it's pinned, it always goes in the same spot. The machine always knows where the X, Y coordinate is for that. And I'm running the same program, which never changes. So I don't have to worry about temperature. I don't have to worry about anything. I just put it on, put the piece of wood on, turn the vacuum on, hit go. And I have an exact part every single time I set up the fixture. So that's kind of what I'm looking to do. I'm overcomplicating a simple project with the, uh, the uh, mindset of um, having to produce in volume down the road. And I'd be curious what your what your initial up because we're we're still at a two hundred fifty dollar limit for, for everything we said. So if you spend half your budget or more on that on that initial setup, what does that leave you for for marketing? And well, you put yourself in a hole where now you have everything set up, but you you don't have anything left to sell the thing. Well, the initial setup isn't going to be that expensive because I'm I'm going to use scrap material to make my fixture. So. Even if I have to go buy the rubber cord, you're only talking about a few dollars in mm -hmm, cord. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use scrap material. I'm not going to use, I will not pull a new sheet of material. So I'll only use what's on the scrap shelf. But your time out of anybody is most valuable. So right, taking but, that into account. Yeah, but that the 250 that we said doesn't account for time. Okay, we're not paying, okay. we're not paying each other out of, out of, it's material and marketing and advertising specific. It's, it's not, it's everything but your time. Okay. So now, that's granted, not something we're going to take into account. Well, no, you, you will. Okay. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about that. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to spend an extra hour to mm -hmm. make a fixture. Okay. I'm probably going to spend a little bit of time because I, I have to make not only a left and right side, but I also have to make a top and bottom. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to have two fixtures. So I'm going to design the fixture so that I can cut all four parts on one fixture. So that's going to take me a little bit more thought than if I had a fixture for the top and bottom and one for the left and right. Right. So I got an extra, I'm going to have a little bit more time in there, but let's just say we put this on Etsy and I get an order for five. Now my time is it's just slap the wood on hit go. And my parts are cut out in a, in a few minutes where all that time that I invested initially will pay off in the long run if you have to produce a lot. And this is the mindset that I, I want to instill on people is 
you know, look at things from a production standpoint. How do you produce these things quickly? And that may be different than what you or Bobby are planning to do. And that's fine. The whole point of this is to show different perspectives, right? So right now I'm concerned about the box for my thing. And then next week I'll figure out the door and then I'll talk about how I'm going to do that. Because again, I want to use wood, solid wood, not plywood. And I want to do the whole thing on the machine. So I'm, I'm going to see how that goes, but yeah. So from a dollar standpoint, my material, yes, wood poplar is going to be more expensive than plywood, but I may be able to get away with buying one board of poplar, which is cheaper than having to go to the store and buy a full sheet of plywood initially, initially, initially. So, so there's, there's a perspective there too, that, um, that I got to look at. Right. So if, if you've got $250 in your, your, your wallet and you're going to go to Lowe's and you're going to buy, you're going to have to buy a full sheet of three quarter inch plywood. You're going to spend 60, 70 bucks. I might be able to get away with buying one five inch by eight foot piece of poplar for 15, $20. Right. So I've spent less money. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my, you know, my thought process, because the only thing that we're going to do is we're going to um, use, I'm going to use material I have in stock only for if I need to make a fixture. But anything that goes into the actual product, we'd have to buy, right? So if even if there's some scrap material out there that would work, that's not the point of this project. You have to go buy that material. But Agreed. But Agreed. for the fixture, I'm going to just use what I have in stock. Okay. Well, we'll allow that, right, Bobby? Yeah, I think that'll be okay. I'd be curious, though. I, I think we should, even if we don't take it into account, I think we should kind of keep track of our, our full design time. You know, maybe put a dollar figure to that and see that, see what you may be saving by by doing that yourself, by learning Vetric yourself. So, yeah, you. I mean, you could do that. I, I'm certainly going to keep track of the time because I think it's important to specify how much time we're spending. Um, but as far as the dollar figure, everybody's time, everybody's going to feel their time is worth something different, right? So if you, you know, if you have a job where you're, you're making $20 an hour, you know, you may say, okay, well, I want to make $20 an hour or 25 an hour doing my own business. But if you have a job that you're making, you know, $100 an hour, um, then it may not make sense to do something that you're only making $20 an hour as a side business. And I think we'll talk about that maybe, you know, a couple episodes from now, once we start to do it, I think everybody starts somewhere, you know, everybody's initial product is you're going to put a lot more time than you normally would to optimize that. Right. And that's another thing we can talk about is optimizing the the cut time and all that. That is, that's great stuff, you know, to get your feeds and speeds down. Cause it's one thing to, to get a nice clean cut, but it's another thing to truly optimize and get that down to, if you need to do a hundred a day, you know, five minutes to cut something versus two minutes to cut something will <laughs> save you an incredible amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are you doing with yours? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, Something very similar to yours on the outside. I'm, I'm, we talked about I'm going to do the, um, you know, the pet remembrance type things. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm going to, what I really, really love is your idea with the lithophane. Um, because for for those that don't know, the lithophane with the what's it, sandstone that we Candle, use or candlestone, candlestone. or corian. Um, lithophane basically will kind of look like nothing, but then when you hold it up to a light, it's it's like you looked at a picture. Right. Um, and I'd l- absolutely love that idea, but I don't want to do the entire thing as a lithophane. So what I'm thinking is kind of like a uh, almost like a shadow box type thing where it's set back, so it has an outside edge, 
Um, I don't think I'm going to do anything special with a joinery, just maybe a, a basic miter. You know, that, oh, that's so cool. And when, when people come in here and they look at all our projects, the big kind of wow factor thing are, are the lithophanes when they're not lit up. Right. So you talked about doing um, LED lighting, and I, I like that idea, and it's kind of cool, but it's it's not wow. What's wow is when it's nothing, and then you hold it up to the light, and then all of a sudden there's a picture there. Right? That's like the quiz. Oh, my God. I didn't see that there. So you're going to make a plaque that goes on your wall that when people come over, they have to take it off the wall and hold it up to a light in order to <laughs> no, see it? No, I, I think I'm going to – that's a good point. So I think I'm going to stay away from the wall, and it's going to be more of a stand. Um, and one of the, the inscriptions I kind of had, um, I don't know, I thought of some stuff here, and I said, no longer by our sides, forever in our hearts. Look to the light to remember we're never far apart. And then you can hold that up to a light and actually see the picture. I thought that would be the coolest thing for someone, you know, and, and emotional. You know, I got really be... emotional really quick. Yeah, I know. I feel all of a sudden yeah, really yeah, sad. I, I, I really felt that when you started it. Yeah. Well, I said oh. before, you guys, I'm bawling my eyes out in my office looking for ideas here because of all these things I didn't people picture do. you as such a softy. No, but I, I'm, you know, what I'm kind of thinking of is, is my family here. And what would be kind of cool, like if you, if you didn't see anything, if you just saw a blank piece of white candlestone, and didn't look like anything, and you read that and then held it up, and all of a sudden, you know, the picture pops out and you see it, I think that'd be kind of cool. You know, I think that would give it that, that wow factor. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. It's going to be nice. I think I'm going to try to do the nicest wood I can get, you know, whether that be staining a cheap wood or getting, like, a nice, nice wood. Um, the inscriptions is where I'm struggling a little bit because initially I, had, I, I love inlays. I'm a big inlay guy. Um, and our machine is awesome, awesome for inlays. Um, and I like the, I need contrast. So you need some contrast with the letters versus the background. So a couple different options I thought about, you know, epoxy pours. I, I think that's kind of cool, but it's it's expensive. It's not as warm, I would say. You know, a, a different contrast in wood is warmer, um, which I think this, you know, this is a an emotional thing. I think you want warmth. You don't want like a multicolored epoxy that's, you know, um, so I, I was thinking about inlays, but if I were to do an inlay, I think I'd have to do a deeper back, right? Cause I can't do, I can't just do a, a thin eighth inch backing to this and do an inlay on an eighth inch. Cause there's just not enough room there. No, you'd have to go at least quarter inch, but if right. your letters are small, see the other issue you're going to have is depending on, on the font size and, and how sm how tall the letters are, you're going to have a difficult time finding a tool that's going to not only do the pocket, but also cut the actual inlay that you're going to lay over it and do the glue up. Um, you know, it, it, we have some tools that are pretty sharp, you know, for, for cutting that, but it's, it's, it's a lot of work. I, I would almost look to a laser or I would look I thought to about a laser. A laser has brass. a really, really cool effect. Um, a brass plaque might be another way to go. Uh, brass, you know, we're not giving little league trophies here. No, I, think I want something warm and I think wood is the warmest Thing. Now, I've done inlays with V-bits before. They're very simple with, you know, doing that. You can get a nice finish to them. I've also used one millimeter end mills to, to do some jewelry type stuff, and those have worked out okay. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the, the letters for the inlay that small. But you're going to have to use a V-bit anyway. You can't use a regular end mill if you're going to do an inlay. But we can go down to as low as half a millimeter even. We have a couple bits in there that go down... Um, but that's gonna. That's one of the challenges. Is I don't know how to get those letters nice without just going for a laser. So I might have to do a laser. But I, I really like the the contrast of inlays and the warmth with it. So. Well, I mean, a laser, depending on the color of the back wood, uh, you know, if you run the laser hot and slow, 
you're going to get a pretty deep burn in the wood and that's going to give you a, that kind of charred, you know, which now I could warm. go pretty basic and do just a, like a paint, you know, paint it over, do a V bit engraving. Cause we can get super, super small letters with that. Yep. Um, well, it depends on the wood you're using because you're going to get chip out. Yes. So, you know, you have to be careful of that. I mean, go, you can check out johnsonplastics.com and take a look at some of the material they have for their sign um, in their sign department, they may have something that you can do a two, like a engraving with that's not a, a little league trophy brass thing, but they, they do have a lot of different contrasting stuff. So you can check that out. Another, um, yeah, you could go the, the laser route. Uh, that, that would probably be, you know, again, depending on the font size, you know, the inlay could be good. Now, the other question I have for you is that, Let's just imagine that you put this online and all of a sudden you start getting a ton of orders. Well, so that would lead me away from epoxy pour, mm-hmm. right? Because that, that's going to get, it's gonna get expensive. And then once you pour it, you have to sand it and finish it and all that stuff. Never mind the curing time. And every keep in mind that every plaque you do or every one of these products you do will it's be different. custom. I'll be there different. will be two custom parts. I've thought about that. So there'll be the pet's name. I think the saying is going to be the same. Maybe in the future we can change that. But then the lithophane is going to be the most customized part. And that's actually relatively simple. I would need the pet's name and a picture and then turn that into a lithophane. There's a really good tutorial on Vetric on how to do And they actually have a lithophane lighting right. in the preview that, you, that it will show you what it looks like. Um, so customize, I don't think that's going to be too challenging. Now, the only thing I'm a little bit worried about is I, I set this up initially for a 10 by 10, um, 10 by 10 box. Uh, the lithophane, the way I look at it with everything spaced out, is only looking to be maybe two, three inches wide. I don't know if I can get the detail for that. Yeah, you're going to need a bigger lithophane, aren't you? I think that I might need a little bit of a bigger picture, which would have to kind of, you know, maybe I do half the... Because um, the way I have it set up now is the words basically cascade down from the top, and there's a little lithophane right in the middle, which I'm going to insert. All I'm going to do with that is cut a hole, um, cut a circle in there, and insert it from the back. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's really the only way. So you're going to do this as a shadow box? Essentially. Very similar. Okay. Um, and then obviously there's going to be two rectangle holes at the bottom for the collar where you can... Um, plug it in, you know, plug it in. It's a collar. Wrap, um, around, wrap, wrap it around, around the back and, <laughs> and snap it in the back, but have it displayed in the front. So why couldn't you do this out of a solid piece of wood? Instead of doing the shadow box design, why couldn't you Why couldn't you do it as a solid piece of wood and then make a, a stand, a little wooden stand that it sits on? Because what you can do with your lithophane is literally make another piece of wood that's an oval on mm-hmm. the top, and it could be like a like a picture frame that sits on top, proud of the surface of the, so your, your letters and your writing and everything are on the basic piece of wood, but then the lithophane would stick maybe quarter inch or half inch. Well, that's exactly proud. what I'm thinking is to have that circle cut in the lithophane and then have it insert from the back, but have it have some depth coming forward and also have the edge of the, you know, think of a picture frame with a, with an edge, uh, maybe have the lithophane kind of come out near close to that edge sticking out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm. That's kind of where I'm at. So I'm excited. I'm going to see, I think the biggest challenge is going to be how small I can get that lithophane. Um, well, the and, I've seen um, videos online where people make lithophanes for um, 
what do they call those things that your night lights that you you can buy the cheap night lights on Amazon. You plug it right into your wall socket, and it's got like a a two inch square mm-hmm. screen in front of it that lights up. So a lot of people will take that screen out and they'll make a lithophane and pop it in its place, so the night light turns into a lithophane photo. So I've seen them done pretty small. the The main thing is just you're going to need a very small yes. ball nose. Yeah, and that's um, you know, I, we're going to need a small ball nose to get the detail anyway. Even if it's a 12 foot lithophane, we're still going to need to get that very small detail. So I think that's actually working for me with machine time, having a smaller lithophane because you won't have as much time. And other than that, um, you know, deciding on the leather letters whether it's an inlay or uh, or lasered, everything else is pretty basic machine wise. Couple holes. Um, yeah, it kind of takes a little bit of all all the machine, all the CNC that we can do. I'm curious to see your total time to produce one of those. I bet you it's going to be very close to mine for a mm-hmm. whole cabinet. For the entire thing? I think so. Maybe. I, I mean, and that's not a bad thing. I'm just, I'm also curious to see what you end up with for a sell price on something like that based on the amount of customization and time. Um, you know, your lithophane, even if it was, say, three inches square, you're probably still looking at 45 minutes maybe an hour of machine time, depending on how small of a ball nose you're using. Design time would be pretty easy because once you get the basic down, all you really have to do is take another picture and do that right. same process. So in that case, I would use Vetric and you, you're going to use your layers, maybe have a new sheet for the lithophane. So you draw everything on one layer so it, everything looks good, but then you can turn off layers to do the laser, turn another layer off for the, the pet's name, and then on the lithophane, go to a different sheet that has the lithophane material in it, but it's always the same size. So you're basically going to take the photo and drop it into that right, vector. Exactly. So that every time you make one, it's identical. Yeah. So, yeah. so my first one's going to be, as, as I said, the whole you know inspiration for this was our family pet passing away recently. I don't know if I should really say this, but my, my goal is I'll know this worked if I can make my mom cry. Oh, good. If that's... I can make her tears of joy, of joy, obviously, but then I'll know I, I did something that's special and that's, you know, kind of wow. Are you going to um, sell that if it's specific to your family? Cause no, that's just the first one. I was going to say. That's the first one. I was going to say, because I thought we agreed we can't have our moms buy our project, so we automatically. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's the test. <laughs> it doesn't that's count, does it? <laughs> yeah, that's, um, and okay. then, if, you know, if that goes well, if, if it's. Use that as an that example wow when you market it. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to grab a video of it. That's that's gonna be my viral marketing sensation. Uh, I don't know. Cool. I haven't thought that quite through yet, but so your and your your project is uh, you have a rectangle and a hole figured out. Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, that's good. The, the rest is actually gonna be pretty easy. I mean, I'm gonna do the state outline of Connecticut on one of the boards. Just import that through VCarve and just scale it and angle it however the heck I want to. I mean, that's going to be quick and easy on that portion. And how are you going to do that? Is that going to be an inlay? Is that going to be a, a laser? Or? Uh, it's probably going to be an inlay. I'm not going to use the laser, I don't think. So because of your size, you have much more room to work with with an inlay. Yeah. I, I've got noticeably larger project than both of y'all. You're going to do epoxy inlay or wood inlay? Uh, Probably going to see what we have for scrap here and use that to save on the budget. And You have to pay for scrap. You have to pay for scrap? Yeah, but I'm not paying for <laughs> scrap for my fixture, but I will account for what I'm using for material. But if you're going to use scrap for the actual project you're selling, that's a different story. In other words, I can't use any scrap for my project. 
and Greg neither. When he wants to buy, a, he wants to use lithophane, he's going to have to go grab a sheet of lithophane from our cabinet, which is brand new, and that will cost him whatever we pay. Yeah, you know what? Candlestick. <laughs> Candlestick. Candlestone. 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 We get a good discount from him from pulling from his scrap material, though. <laughs> yeah. So Eric can use scrap, but no, nobody else can. No, no, no. That's I didn't what, say that. That's you what can, I I'm using scrap for my fixture. I'm not <laughs> using scrap for the project. I can make the rules up as I go along. And, and you suit, are. To suit my needs. That's means totally we can, fine. too. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, so, yeah, Bobby's project's coming along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at it on the screen. <laughs> it's a rectangle, rectangle with a circle. In a circle. Getting there. <laughs> yeah. I, it's like kindergarten for CNC. <laughs> um, well, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we were talking originally before this podcast and we had some other topics we were going to talk about, but I think we covered some cool stuff and, uh, uh, we're already up pushing 48 minutes. So, um, Save it yeah, for see, next week. yeah, time flies when we're having fun, you know, but I, this is all good because the whole point of this project is to, is, is to talk through it, talk through where we're at, you know, different things that are coming up, what our mindset is, um, you know, Changes and course corrections along the way. Uh, so, this, do we have a comment section on the on the podcast website? Yeah. yeah. So, if you go to the website, you can make a comment, um, and you can also comment, I believe, on some of the podcast apps too. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but definitely on the website. And I am going to post. Um, I was waiting until we had a few episodes uh, done, so I'll start putting posts out like on on some groups on Facebook that I have permission to do that. And then, like I said, if, if you're listening to this and you like it, uh, drop a link, you know, in, in some groups. Yeah, and let us know what and, you think. Let, and, give us some feedback. Let's just so people know what other apps can they find the podcast on? So that's a good question because that expands a lot. I'm an Apple guy, so I get it on, um, Apple's iTunes podcast app that comes on my phone. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have to download anything. So as soon as I publish the, post on the website, there's a plugin that connects to the podcast host. So I'm storing the podcast audio on, on a hosting site. And as soon as I publish it, then it gets just distributed out to all of the different. So Google play, um, it should be on Stitcher. It should be on, um, podcast player, podcast players should be, uh, there's, uh, there's, I think the last time I looked, there's probably 10 different platforms that it should go out to. Now, again, it's been over a year since I've been doing the podcast. So I, I will take some time and look and see what else I have to add to that to make sure it's out there. But, you know, living in an Apple ecosystem, I have the app. So I, I don't even think of looking for another app for podcasts because they're all there. But I know um, some of the radio apps will, will have podcast players as well. So I'd love to get a, a poll going. I know we talked about this but a poll of you know who who, who thinks who thinks we're, we're who's in the lead right now who think what what ideas which one of our three ideas do you think is going to you know sell the most and we could do that um we could I'd do like it to on have a, a running poll going yeah maybe we'll think. um you know what well yeah right now i don't have a poll page per se but go, go just drop a comment on uh, go to thinkandmakeit.us and go to this episode 19 and drop a comment in there and see what you think yeah let us know whose idea Whose idea looks like it's uh it has the most potential right now? I have to set up forty two email accounts so I can go in and make my own comments. <laughs> but um, yeah, I to be honest with you, I think that 
your project has the most uh, potential to make good money on a site like Etsy or something. I agree. I, I think that's, that's kind of what I'm going for the, is the, the more of those. The personalization aspect of it, the memorial thing I think is, is good. Um, I think mine has the least um, because I'm, it's very specific what I'm making now. Um, and I'm, I'm making it because I want one. Um, but I also see that there's a lot of them online different styles and I see that people are selling them. So there is a market there. I think Bobby's is going to fly. I think cornhole boards are, are just going to fly if you price it right. Springtime. Yeah. Well, uh, cornhole boards, I don't know. I've only played it once. I don't think it does. I've seen me. boards on there for $3,000, you know, I'm all the, over I'm from the, the internet. beach. So everybody plays cornhole. I didn't even know what it south. was like a year I'm from ago. The beach. No idea what it That's was. Like, but you can also buy the little cheap pop-up ones at Walmart that, you know, are 15 bucks and they stink. Yeah, we got crappy but ones. I think if you find a, a good niche right in the middle there, right in the middle of those two price points where it's not, a, you know, a, a $100,000 cornhole board, if it's kind of, you know, affordable, but still very, very nice, I, th I think yours is going to sell. See, I come from an era where we used to play jarts. Where you walk to school uphill both ways. Both ways Do you know what jarts are? Barefoot. <laughs> I, I, I know, know that, what jarts are. Okay, I know there's people here listening to what jarts are. Jarts. Jarts. J a r t s. So jorts. No, nope. I was when thinking I, jorts too. So when I was when I was younger, there was a game. You used to be able to go to any any store and buy this game. It's called jarts, and what it is, it was a handle. It, it had four um, fins on it, and it looked like uh, like an arrow. Oh, a lawn dart. A lawn dart. Yeah, I guess you call them, we call them jarts, but they call them lawn darts. Okay. And and so they were heavy, they're relatively heavy, and you you would throw them underhand, and they would go up in the air, and it would have a steel point on the front, and then you'd have a circle in the ground, and you would, the idea is, is to lob Everybody this stands together, air, right? you throw it in the air, and you all run. They do not sell hit. them anymore, because somebody along the way said, this is a dangerous game. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're essentially standing in the yard throwing sharp projectiles at your family members. Um, it was fun, but I don't think I don't, they don't sell it anymore. Is I, we it were too late to change my project. <laughs> we were fortunate that, uh, and we also played croquet. You know what that is? It's yes, a rich people game. Of course. A rich people game. Croquet? Croquet? I thought that was for fancy people. No, it's like two wooden sticks and some plays, wooden balls. Who the heck plays croquet? We've, I've played croquet. I've played it when, yeah, when I was younger. It's, it's a fun family game. Yeah. Seriously, we got to get you outside and play some games. I play golf. That's about it. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> anybody that uh, remembers uh, lawn jarts, uh, please. Uh, lawn charts. <laughs> please make a <laughs> comment so I'm not the only one. Um, but anyway, so that's it for episode 19. We, again, appreciate everybody who's listening and all of the feedback. And we are excited to keep doing this for you every week. Absolutely. Until okay. next week. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, I hope you all have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think It, Make It podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more great CNC router content.